Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so pumped. You guys, we're about to wind down this summer series, How'd She Do That? And we have spoiled y'all. Did you hear me? We have spoiled you rotten. (laughs) And today won't be any different. We are bringing our A-game. We're bringing the big guns. We're bringing Miss Jenny Yang. Jenny Yang, you ask? Oh, you know, if if you haven't already heard of her from Ashley, because she has mentioned her several (laughs) times throughout the Why Though podcast, Jenny Yang is the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Policy at World Relief. She provides oversight for all their advocacy initiatives and policy positions for the organization and leads their public relations effort. She has worked over a decade, that's right, y'all, a Mm. decade in refugee protection, immigration policy, and human rights and was an active deployment roster for the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. And previous to World Relief, she worked at one of the largest political consulting companies in Maryland. She is Mm -hmm. co-author of Welcoming the Stranger, Justice, Compassion, and Truth in the Immigration Debate, and contributing Mm -hmm. author to three other books. So she's busy is what I'm trying to say. She's purposed, (laughs) rather. She's purposed. And Jenny was named one of the 50 women to watch by Christianity Today. And let's just give a big why the welcome to Jenny Yang. Yay! Welcome, Jenny. Oh, it's so great to be with you. I'm I'm fans <laughs> of you both. And just to be able to have a conversation together and share time. So, oh, Jenny, tell pleasure. me something beyond the bio, something that people may not be able to uh, pick up or grasp after hearing your official bio. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the the one thing I, I love to share about and talk about are my kids. So I have two boys. Uh, my oldest, David. Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls. And we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. five um and then my youngest joel is he just turned three um and so we actually just spent a few weeks in california and um joel my youngest was thinking we flew just to california to celebrate his birthday so like he's three but i think every birthday from now on we have to like take a plane somewhere because he thinks that we literally rode on the plane for him um and so my husband's from southern california i'm from philly so i'm a diehard philly sports fan love the eagles um love the Phillies and the Flyers. Um, and so I love um, following Philly sports. Um, although I'm, because I live near Baltimore now, um, I am a Baltimore fan. I've become a Baltimore fan as well. Um, but one of the things I love to do is um, I love baking. And so I, um, I actually won the first ever bake competition on my work. And so I oh, won that's with good. A, that's right you did. Yes, that's right I did. did. Yes. And I won with this. What did you win this, with? I won with this raspberry white chocolate cheesecake bite. Um, And so, and it was a little twist because they said it was like baking some kind of cupcake. And it was a cupcake, but it was like a cheesecake cupcake. (laughs) 
um, and so it was really good. And even my coworkers still talk to me about it because they're like, can you make that again? Um, and so I love baking. And so I have like my specialty recipes that I'll bake all the time. So I'll bake stuff for like my kids, coaches, the teachers, all my neighbors have eaten a lot of my baked goods. Um, so I, that's just what I love to do. And my kids help me do that as well. So, um, I love baking. I love, I like cooking. Um, but I like baking more, but I do love eating. And so that's what drives yeah, me yeah. <laughs> to Big do fan. all of Also, Jenny, I need to know, help me understand and um, close the cognitive dissonance that I have regarding you being an Eagles fan and a baker, because I have Eagles fans <laughs> in my life and they're crazy. I've never met anyone who is like more excited about the Eagles than Eagles fans. And I think that they would probably riot in the street every single time the Eagles lose. So this picture of you being an Eagles fan and then baking sweetly in your kitchen with your children, I'm just having trouble with that gap. So help the people understand. <laughs> so Eagles fans are obnoxiously passionate. Obnoxious, um, yes. And so I would say that I'm almost obnoxiously passionate about baking. So like, I like, I, I make sure that like my cookies are crispy. I make sure that my butter is like at room temperature, my eggs and, yeah. you know, and I mean, with kids, the measurements can be a little iffy, but I do try to make right. sure that they're pretty accurate. Um, and so I, I like baking because I like following like the recipe. I think cooking, you have to be a little bit more creative. Um, yeah. My mom is a really good cook, um, but I kind of got the, the baking bug from I don't know where, but um, my husband has a huge sweet tooth and so he'll eat everything that I bake. And sometimes he gets upset that I share the things that I bake, as do my kids sometimes. Um, <laughs> that's another story. But And it's funny, actually, because I don't have a huge sweet tooth. I'm more of a salty person, so I love cheese. Um, oh, yeah. I'm chips. salty, savory all the so time. So mm -hmm. I'll bake, but I actually won't eat a like some of it. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll give most of it away. But, um, but I do enjoy and my kids. Um, love it so it's it's a fun part of our lives also how sweet like when they're grown and they're out your house they're gonna be like oh, mom baked with us like that was our thing i just love that i love that i think the mixer is like my uh joel when he was younger what i would turn the mixer on and he would die laughing like he just thought it was a funny <laughs> oh! thing like that thing like worrying around and now he doesn't think it's as funny but he definitely likes helping out more than my my older one because my older one would help out more when he was younger, but now he's more interested in his Legos and reading, I guess. So, oh. <laughs> so Jenny, give us a little, but uh, just a peek into into your brain of how how did you end up here? Like, take us back, maybe t 15, 20 years. Uh, what led you to what you're doing now? Oh, so when I was in uh, preschool, no. <laughs> um, so, well, people look at me and they're like, he looks so young. And, um, but it, it, I've been actually um, at Royal Relief, the organization that I work for, um, for over 15 years. And so um, before that, I worked in politics a little bit, which I loved and hated. Um, and really, I think ever since I was pretty young, I, well, first of all, I want to share about my family because growing up as a daughter of immigrants, I always... Um, he would hear the stories of my father of what it was like being orphaned in Korea and being desperately poor. And it's all the stories you, you hear about. It's he delivered newspapers without shoes through the snow. Um, he didn't have money t for books and school supplies. So he would have to tutor his fellow students after class. 
And um, his dad uh, was actually killed during the war when he was really young. And then his mom died a few years after that from sickness. And so he was orphaned. And um, it was interesting because when I was growing up, my mom had a huge family. So she had a lot of siblings and um, she was very close to all of them and her parents. And so every three or four years, she would take me and my brother back to Korea. Um, and my dad never came with us. And so I always thought, well, it's just because he's working. But it was only later on that I realized he never wanted to go back. So he wow. had immigrated to the United States from Korea as an orphan. He was sponsored by Ford Motor Company to come here to work. And for over 30 years, he never went back. And um, it was because he he felt like he had nothing there to see. And it, it was so painful for him. He never wanted to go back. Um, and it wasn't until... A, um, in the past several years um that he like had these dreams where he remembered the uncle that um took care of him and he felt like he needed to visit like his family um his like extended family that he, it made him feel like he needed to go back and so he went back after 30 years um and he was like really nervous about it obviously and we were all like what are, what was it was going to be like and i mean he spent weeks there um and it was really good for him because i think it helped kind of turn a page perhaps in his life um, and kind of visit some of his family, but it wasn't something he even says now he doesn't really want to go back. Um, and so just hearing those stories really, I think, formed my understanding of the challenges that a lot of immigrant families face and just yeah. kind of this, like, you know, my dad, whom I love so much, went through so many challenges and yeah. it really created a kind of a deep well of empathy within me to really be able to relate to a lot of people who are going through what he went through. And um, and so that always kind of shaped my, um, you know, understanding of the world, my experiences, my, my ability to relate to others. Uh, and so in, in um, high school, I, I love spelling, I love writing. Um, and, um, but in college, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I wanted to jur- do journalism because I like writing. But I realized, well, I, I like writing. I don't think I love it to the point where I would want to be under a deadline every day. Um, right. And then I had this expanded interest in international relations and, and politics and public policy. And so my junior year in Spain, or my junior year in college, I studied abroad in Madrid, Spain. And I wanted to, you know, really brush up on my Spanish and just ex- and travel. And so I just, it was such a formative experience for me because it was really the first time I lived in another country and being a minority myself, I've, I experienced racism when I was there blatantly against Asian people, but there was a lot of racism against Africans as well. Um, and I just remember riding the subway one day when a young African mother and her child were riding the subway and a bunch of Spanish teenagers uh, got on the train and they pulled out spray cans and graffitied all over the walls of the subway car get out of my country black people in spanish and so i looked at this young woman and i looked at them and right when i was going to say something they got off the spanish teenagers got off the train and so i went up to this uh young mom and i basically asked her in spanish like are you okay and i'm so sorry that happened and you know she didn't really want to talk to anybody and And so I just kind of stood there. Um, And I think what really bothered me about what had happened was, uh, well, first that there was such a blatant instance of racism um, in that subway car. But I think the the second thing that really bothered me was the fact that no one in that subway car decided to do anything about it. They didn't speak up. They didn't intervene. They didn't even stand with this woman. They just kind of let it happen. And 
that summer I realized, well, like what would it mean for this young woman who was vulnerable um, to, to feel a sense of security? And I realized for me that this woman needed to feel a communal sense of welcome. So having not having like racist incidents against her and having a, a sense of community around her. But I think on another level, if she had that community welcome, but if she didn't have legal status or she was seeking asylum, she also needed to have like the right paperwork um, and the right laws to help her as well. And so welcome is not just about community level welcome um, and the people around her. It's also systemic as well. And so it, it really so actually that summer I volunteered at the U.N. setting asylum laws. I got this research grant to like study asylum laws in Spain and write a paper about it. Um, and so I started studying like, well, what is what laws is this woman navigating? And then I also actually volunteered at an organization called SOS Racismo. And, and it's an anti-racism organization that does a lot of mobilizing and education and awareness. And they were organizing rallies and protests. So I did that as well. And I think having the combination of those two experiences really helped me um, and develop a passion for me to want to work with migrants and refugees when I came back to the States. So I actually, I graduated from college and then um, I I knew I wanted to work with refugees. I just didn't know how or in what way. Uh, and so I started actually working in politics, which I loved in the beginning. And then I hated it at the end because here I was this 20 young something girl, like woman. And I, uh, I was, you know, working 16 hour days, traveling all across the state campaigning. And all my friends were like having parties and or like going out and having fun. And I was like slogging miles in my like beat up Volvo, I think, and and I was like, no, it's very safe of you, Jenny. Yes, and and um, and I was like, I remember like my doors weren't working. It was like this beat up car. My dad's a mechanic, so I would always drive these like like really beat up cars. And I remember the summer I was like putting signs in the back for like candidates, and like my doors weren't working, so I would have to like crawl through the trunk. And in the middle of Baltimore City, people were like, they're gonna think you're stealing my car. I was like, it's my car. Um, uh-huh. And so, um, and and actually, my uh, I had a friend in Baltimore uh, work at World Relief, and she's like, you should totally apply for a job here. And so yeah. I did, and uh, I actually applied for a job, and that job that I applied for was filled by a, a, a woman who was internally promoted to that position that I wanted. But then when uh, World Relief called me, they said, well, the job that you apply for is no longer available, but we have a job in the refugee program. And I said, refugees? Like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I had no idea World Relief worked with refugees. And that really became a a place for me where I really grew in my understanding and practice of of refugee policy and refugee programs. And that's where I've been for the past 15 years. And so my whole journey at World Relief is is a longer story. But but yeah, that's where I really started with with my passion. May I ask, what was your major in college? Yeah, so my major was international um, studies, and so it was a multidisciplinary study where you took history, uh, political science, economics, and then you had to have an advanced level of a foreign language, which mine was Spanish. And so, um, yeah, I loved it. So a lot of people in my field go into either law or they go into business um, or like social policy or social work. And so... um, uh, I obviously went into the nonprofit sector um, or politics, actually. Um, but it's it's a whole area I didn't even know existed when I uh, was in college. And I, I remember one of my professors was Cameroonian. 
and I asked him, I was like, hey, can you teach a class on refugees? And he said no. Um, but I was like, there's, you know, I didn't learn any of that in, in college. It gave me the foundation for me to be interested in furthering my studies um, and doing work in refugee issues. But um, in college, it was it wasn't specific to that, but it did pique my interest in broader international law and policy. Oh, I love it. Jenny, I like you are a person in my life from a distance who has been so formative in my faith and specifically around the issue of immigration. And the first time I heard you speak was at the Justice Conference in Portland, Oregon. I attended your breakout with Matthew and um, the guy that you co-wrote your book with. And I remember sitting there and I had never ever, because I grew up in the Southeast, so I was very familiar with a lot of justice issues, but not immigration. And it was only as I was leaving my hometown that a lot of immigrants began to come into my hometown. So I sort of missed that the, the first wave that began to happen in my hometown and in my state. And so it was the first time listening to you talk that I really recognized how much God cares about this. And I had never at the time connected all the scriptures on the foreigner and the stranger to an immigrant. And so I felt like it was so informative and there was a way that you talk and there is a way that you talk that I feel like Christians can grab a hold of mm -hmm, and go, mm -hmm. this is actually important to God and it is important to me because God cares about this. And obviously moving to a bigger city like Los Angeles, that that in and of itself opened my eyes in a much broader way because, you know, everyone is connected to, you know, an immigrant that they love and care about here. There's no way for you to live in a city like this and not be connected to someone. And so I think like how, you know, how can Christians think about this issue and this topic of immigration and refugees, especially given the, you know, very political and divisive world that we are living in. I, I like to think on my better days that we're climbing out of it, but on my worst days, I think that we're not. And so maybe you could just speak to people who are listening and help us understand how to think about this issue. I mean, before I answer that question, I think um, something I think you two will be very interested in because it's, you know, why though? It's it's this idea of how I, I got to where where I am today um, is that I, I, I was interested in refugee issues because of my studies and my um, travel experience abroad. But when I came back to the States, I wanted to focus on international policy. I did not want to touch domestic immigration at all. Which people may wow, not that's be, very interesting. Yeah, be aware of. And so it wasn't actually even like a passion of mine, U.S. immigration policy, wow. until I started working at World Relief. And I think part of that was um, it's a lot more controversial. It's almost easier to focus overseas uh -huh. and trying to fix, you know, other like countries' problems or what have you. Um, rather than dealing with, okay, the people in my community, the people in my neighborhood. And I, I had this fear when I started, when um, the people on my team at World Believe were saying, well, we need to speak out on immigration issues. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, can we, should we? Like, people are breaking laws. Like, what's wrong? And so I had these same questions. And, and I was almost afraid to get into it because I felt like being the daughter of immigrants was going to discount my voice. And I felt like people were going to look at me and say, well, she's only speaking out on this because of her family or, oh, she's only saying this because she has a personal stake in it. And I thought people were going to dismiss my economic or national security reasonings or like the policy issues just because I'm the daughter of immigrants. And so like the last thing I wanted to do was touch, touch immigration wow. in the U.S. Wow. And it wasn't until I 
I, I mean, it really was being at World Relief where I um, got to know that the people that we serve, a lot of immigrants from across the United States that were having immigration problems. And when I was on the Hill um, and like in these meetings with congressional staffers, when they were talking about it, um, I realized, oh my gosh, like this is a huge problem. Our, our laws are actually are not working well. And then when I started to to get calls and get emails from churches in the U.S. that were like hating immigrants, I mean, viscerally hating immigrants and like publicly lambasting them. And then I became I, and then I started to say, this is not right. This this deep seated, almost almost anti-immigrant rhetoric and positioning of the evangelical church is is distinctly unbiblical. And I, so I spent years getting my moorings around, okay, well, what does the immigration system look like in the U.S.? Um, You know, what, what is wrong with the law? Like, why are so many people out of status? And why is the church so anti-immigrant? And then I took it, then I did take it personally, because I said, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm the daughter of immigrants. Why is it that the church that should be the most outspoken about being pro-immigration and pro-immigrant and biblically valuing the dignity of these people, the ones that are taking the backseat, or if not actually antagonistically um, being unhelpful in this conversation. And that's when I became really passionate about immigration in the US specifically, um, because I realized like this was a discipleship problem within the church, because this wasn't just a political issue or a policy issue, it was a personal issue. And when so many of these immigrants, actually, as you were saying, are coming into our communities, are coming into our churches, um, are, are, are part of our communities, and we're ignoring the fact that so many of them are, are facing significant challenges, then I believe we're missing out on an opportunity to live out the gospel and, and to be the gospel, right? And so, um, and to receive the gospel from immigrant communities. Yes, and so, and so I, I when I, um, started studying scriptures again and really rereading the Bible. And this goes to your question is, is well, what c- should the church really be saying and, and believing? I realized actually the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story about migration. It is actually a story wow. about people who are constantly on the move. And from Genesis, you see the story of Abraham, who was called by God to leave his homeland and to go to another land that God would show him. He became an immigrant. Because by him moving, it was a testament of his belief in God and his faith in God that God would provide for him and, and care for him. Uh-huh. Um, and even the story of, of Joseph, he was a victim of human trafficking. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was literally moved from one place to another. He didn't know how he was going to get vindicated, but he was. And he eventually was used by God to save his people from famine. Or even in the story of Ruth, she is... It's just a beautiful woman in scripture whose whole character was was um, exhibited through her identity as a migrant worker. And it was actually her in the fields um, working as an immigrant that Boaz noticed her character and fell in love with her. And that is a beautiful story of migration. And and I always say this, but the greatest immigrant of all is Jesus himself, because when he was a young child, he had to go, uh, he was forced to flee into Egypt with Mary and Joseph so they could actually save his life. And so when we talk about Christmas, um, we don't talk about the fact that Jesus had to flee a persecution, but yeah. that was such a huge part of the Christmas story. And so when you see Jesus in Matthew 25 exhorting his followers to welcome the stranger, 
um, I was a stranger and you welcome me. It's this, he identifies with being a stranger because he actually knew what it was like to not have a home and to, to have people pursuing him and to feel like this earth was not his home. And so right. I think for us as Christians to understand that scriptural narrative of migration and to see how God uses migration to accomplish his missional purposes on earth is is a very um, foundational aspect, I think, of the teachings of scripture, of scripture that we have to uh, account for. And um, I mean, on top of that, I think not only just the scriptural understanding of migration, but also the spiritual impact of of how migration is being used today for God's missional purposes. And the fact that, you know, God calls us to make disciples of all, of all nations, that is the Great Commission. But there's so many people that are leaving places where they've never heard the gospel and coming into communities where the gospel is rich, where there are so many churches. Yeah. And I think for many of us in the United States, the question is, are we willing to walk across this? If we're willing to send missionaries um, across the world, are we willing to walk across the street ourselves to share the gospel with our neighbors? And Preach a word, Jenny. And, then, and, and if we're not willing to do that, then I think we're being missionally malignant in how we view our oh. neighbors because the gospel is not just about about sending people over there. It's about doing what's right here. And, okay. and um, there's an incredible opportunity for us to reach our immigrant neighbors, our refugee neighbors. Um, but on the flip side as well, you know, this is not just about us sharing the gospel, it's about receiving the gospel. And so there are a lot of uh, immigrant communities in Maryland, like where I live, um, that have blessed me with um, the way that they've understood scripture. And um, and I think we have so much to learn from immigrants that are coming in. So it's not just about a giving, it's about a receiving. Right, that I right. think it's so important. And this idea of mutuality as we enter into relationships with our immigrant yeah. neighbors it's so critical in this conversation because um, it's only when we feel like uh, there is dignity and worth in another where we can be blessed by them that I think um, we can go deeper in this journey that um, Christ calls us to. So I, I, I think there's so many spiritual aspects to migration. Um, and I've just unpacked a little bit, but I there's, there's other stories I can share too about the blessing of being in these relationships. But... Um, yeah, the, the Bible is rich um, in in talking about migration. And I think our job, first and foremost, is to understand the theology of migration and apply that in our in the lives around us. A hmm. uh, f- couple comments. Number one, y'all, y'all just went to seminary class. So <laughs> thank you, Basically. Jenny. Number two, <laughs> when you describe that mutuality, all I get in my in my gut, is this like, this is what the kingdom is. Yes. We miss out. We are so malnourished on what we think the kingdom is. Often when we're not diving into the fullness and the complexity of scripture and being able to see that in our modern world context, and you just laid it out so perfectly, connecting us from the Old Testament, of course, the New Testament to, to this modern day. And there's just such richness, such goodness, such a such a beauty and majesty of the kingdom if we would only lean in. So Jenny, talk to us a little bit about what's the, if for, for our listeners, take them through just a couple first steps to help us grow in this understanding and also how to build connections? That's a great question. Because I think, um, you know, we want to take it from the abstract and almost the political realm to our, our own hearts, right? And mm-hmm. our own discipleship and, and then apply that to the, the places that God has called us to. And I really do think, I mentioned the, the theological aspect of migration. And I think um, 
uh, World Relief is a member of the Evangelical Immigration Table, and that uh, that website has a lot of resources. It has a bookmark with 40 verses of scripture related to migration in the Bible, and it's easy to download just online at the web Evangelical Immigration Table website. But I've done that exercise where I've read through the 40 verses of scripture, and and it really helped helped shape my again my my fuller understanding of how much the Bible actually has to speak about um, immigration. And so I think formulating some of um, uh, our biblical responses is, is really going to be very important. Uh, there's another group called Women of Welcome, and they have a very active Facebook and Instagram community where they always are sharing resources. They're always having timely webinars to just answer people's questions about, well, what's happening at the border? And how many immigrants are coming and what is my governor doing and what's the president doing and these resources are really there to help all of us um, understand the current realities of, of immigration in the u.s and so just following these um, women of welcome evangelical immigration table uh, checking out their website is just a good way to get informed and so i think just being aware and informed about the truths around migration is is really important um, in addition to having a biblical understanding of of I think God's heart behind behind this issue and for the people as well is is foundational. Um, the second thing I would say is it really has to start in tangible relationship with others. And you may be in a community where you feel like, well, I don't, I don't know, like who are the immigrants? Um, and uh, there's a lot of organizations that I think work with and serve immigrants. I know uh, at World Relief, we have 17 offices in the U.S. across the United States that work specifically with refugees. And so for me, I found an organization in Baltimore uh, that resettles refugees. It was the IRC. And I basically uh, signed up on their website to be a volunteer. I went through a training one evening for a few hours. Um, and then they sent me out with a refugee family uh, that had come from Iran. And I basically spent once a week going to their house. And uh, they had two young boys. And I was helping them just learn English and with forms and different things. I, I took the boys to soccer games and we just had a lot of fun together. And um, I and this is just another story of I went thinking I was going to help them and teach them English. And the mom ended up cooking for me like every time right. I went. And oh, oh my oh. gosh, this food was amazing Persian food. It was absolutely yeah. delicious. And so... I would spend hours there and um and again it was this um tangible relationship i had and and um i just reached out to a local agency within my city that resettled refugees and they were able to connect me with a volunteer opportunity and so being able to get to know refugees in my community was a, a huge part of me growing and and just loving and wanting us to receive more refugees i think in baltimore um, and so yeah. just reaching out to local agencies um you can just Google your city name and, and refugee resettlement, and you can find probably an agency in your community to, to be able to do that. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, um, you know, there's a lot of, it, it has to start out of relationship, but it's what I shared earlier. There are structural issues um, at play sometimes in which the flourishing, the full flourishing of our neighbors cannot happen unless there is legal change. And so we've seen in the history of the United States, whether it's through civil rights, um, or voting rights, that there are systemic um, issues at play. And unless we change laws and policies, there will continue to be oppression and injustice. And for a lot of our immigrant neighbors, um, it has to do with legality is, well, how can they get right with the law? Sometimes it has to do with 
just overly restrictive policies that is inhibiting families from being able to come together. Uh, and so at World Relief, um, we just try to update people regularly on policy developments and send out action alerts when we feel like your voice is needed to contact your senators or the president to make sure that he hears from folks about policy change. And so I think another part of our discipleship is being able to use our voice and knowing that we are called to be stewards of our finances and our resources and our time, but we're also called to be stewards of our influence. And right. all of yeah. us have influence, um, especially those of us who live in a democracy where our vote counts. Our elected officials are responsible to hear from us um, and their yes. job is to do what we want them to do. Yes. And so um, and so I think being informed about what's going on, but then contacting your member of Congress on occasion or even writing the president, it's just a huge part of mm-hmm. being able to create a society and laws and systems that really affirm the flourishing of all. Um, yes. And I would say that last step is, is the hardest. It's probably the biggest hurdle to get over because you know, I've been in positions where I think, well, does my phone call really make a difference or my letter is going to get lost? And you don't feel like you can be a part of systemic change. But I know firsthand that it makes such a huge difference. And yep. um, I think that's the last piece that I think can really help in um, in in uh, serving our, our immigrant neighbors well. Yeah. And I want to encourage you guys because, you know, that last step can seem pretty daunting. But for example, I, a couple of years back, just put my senators inside my phone. So now it's a contact. So every time I need it, I just call them. I have the superintendent in my school district also in my phone because I did not like the way they were handling technology with the laptops that they gave students. So I was calling them fools every week. Like, you guys need to do better. And I think that um, I, with one legislator that I talked to here in California, you know, she said to me every time a person calls my office, even if they speak to my deputy or they speak to someone who's even at the front desk who takes the message and gives it to me, I treat that as though it's 300 people who have called me because they know that if there's one of me, then there's several hundred who are feeling the exact same way that I am. And so know that it really matters. I would make the calls, you know, while I'm breastfeeding my daughter, like it doesn't have to be extra. You can be in your car making these phone calls. And so it does, it's just a mental hurdle. It's not that this task is difficult, but if you are passionate about something, just like make it easy for yourself the same way you would anything else in your life like we have to lower our I mean increase our capacity to do good in the world by making things more simple and so just overcome that mental hurdle so that you have stuff available because this is really important you guys and it's affecting people's lives and you know maybe today you know immigration may not have been something you're passionate about or maybe you have questions about it because your family fights about something at the dinner table or you've heard some rhetoric but Jenny just gave us some beautiful ways to think about mutuality that we don't always have something to give. We actually have something to receive from one another at all times. And we cannot approach people as if we always have the answers and have it all together. Like we are the ones who are also in deep and desperate need of learning from each other. And that is how we internalize the fullness of God. And then she gave us reasons why this matters to God. <laughs> the, the migrant story across scripture, even Jesus, our King, like she laid all that out for us and gave us really practical steps. And we'll list it all in the show notes for you guys, because... Mm-hmm. This is so important, you guys. We gotta get on board here because we need our society flourishing. And this is one of the key ways that it can. And um, Jenny, we wanna thank you for taking time to be with us today. And we're gonna include your book and all the links that you mentioned today that people can get involved and do things easily and be connected. Is there anything else that you'd like to impart to us before we just say goodbye to our people today? Yeah, well, I just wanna encourage everyone that 
Um, I think immigration can be a, a tough topic, um, but it's it's been an issue that has been debated in our country since its founding, and right. and it's not just a U.S. issue. It's it's an impact in countries around the world. And so I think it's not going to go away. And so the the ability for us to be able to navigate tough conversations well with biblical values is going to be so important. And it's rooted in love for God and love for our neighbors. And yeah, so being yeah. in relationship with others in our community, yeah. grounding it in scripture, um, being salt and light is, is just going to be so important in this conversation. And so, yeah, um, yeah reach out um, at any time with questions or for more resources. And I'm always happy to further the conversation. Yes. Thanks so much for, for fitting us in. It really has been such a dream to have you. And y'all got to sit at the feet of a great one, truly mm-hmm. a goat. So thank you. Yep. Thank you, Jenny. And to all our Why the Listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.